think there's a lot of people now that are just content, right? They're at a job. There's a reason why they keep holding their job, but they're not thrilled about it, right?、Mm -hmm. And I think we live in times that we are lucky enough that many of us could actually have a job that we are thrilled. Not everyone under different circumstances, but I think in the industries that we're talking about—tech, biotech, nursing, finance, and so forth—the、uh, white-collar industries that we are focused on—and I think this opportunity exists. Yet most people are not really happy, and part of it is it's just difficult to do the work of figuring out what would really be a fit for me. Like you said before, sometimes I don't really understand. So then maybe I need something to interpret and machine learning guess what might be a good fit for me. But even if I know it, it's still very difficult to find it, right? And then if we have a tool that constantly is looking, constantly trying to help you, constantly thinking about where you need to be in your career journey, then we think we can really make people just happier. That was Roy Chobadi, who you just heard. Roy is a co-founder of Stellaris, a recruiting and career guidance bot. Think about the last time you made a career move. Maybe it was deciding on an internship, switching jobs, or switching careers. Recall what a complicated decision that was. You probably talked about it with your family, friends, and mentors. You talked to recruiters and hiring managers, and most importantly, you talked to yourself, trying to figure out what you want out of your career and your next job. This decision-making process involves so much communication and introspection. Could a chatbot help you figure out what you want out of your next job? And then find you that job. Well, maybe. Stellaris is building an AI-powered talent agency. In this episode, we dive into the challenges and solutions in applying AI to a field as meaningful and subtle as your own career. This is your host Devesh, and I hope you stay tuned.、Um, can you tell us a little about your company, Stellaris? Yeah, happy to. So Stellaris is an artificial intelligence、um, entity that helps people navigate with their career. So the idea is that this entity is a text message away to help you with your career decisions. Which conferences do I go to? When I go there, who should I connect with? Am I making enough money right now? Oh, I don't. How do I negotiate? I just said this and this to my boss, and he actually rejected and said like that. What do I do now? Right. So this kind of ongoing real-time help that is related to your career, we feel it's currently missing. You can do it on your own, researching, reading. But it's not easily accessible, right? So that's kind of like the core of it. And then one of the challenges that we focus on within this、uh, career help is recruiting, right? It's how do you explore opportunities beyond your network, which is also something that could be a major time sink, right? And what you see today, more and more people actually choose to opt out of this time sink and to basically rely on their immediate friends and network, right? Which is great; it works, especially in the industries that we care about, like tech, the industry we start with. The problem with that is that you get a local maxima within your network topology of friends, rather than an absolute maxima. You're missing a lot of really great opportunities out there. Again, just because it's too time-consuming. So one of the things that the bot would help with is basically to figure out who you are, what makes you happy, what you're looking for, and basically do all this work for you. Right. So you would chat with the bot and would ask you all sorts of questions like. Where do you want to be in five years? And what kind of skills do you want to pick up? And what kind of challenges are you excited about? And what kind of people you want to work with, and so forth. And we do all the work of finding these opportunities and basically introduce you only to opportunities that are tail fit. And the depth that we went into figuring out what a fit is actually it's, it's pretty deep, right? So, for example, it would look who is the boss, the future team leader behind a certain position, 
What is their career path? And is their career path relevant to your learning goals? Who are the team members behind this position? And what are the likelihood that you're going to enjoy working with the people who are going to sit in the same cubicle room with you for the next 18, 24 months, considering hobbies, passions, anything that is in common, interests, personality types, and also in the professional setting. Um, what skills have they developed at what level of expertise and how that aligns with yours and your learning goals and so forth. Um, career life balance, which companies are going to be more flexible, questions of culture and what could be a fit for you and so forth, right? So all of that is done by the, um, by the system. Now, maybe it's kind of like a long answer, but I'll, I'll just wrap it up with, as we're helping people connect with companies, then we're also helping companies connect with people. We're solving it primarily from the individual perspective. This is what we're passionate about, how to empower people and allow them to build the career life journeys that they want. But we also think about what it looks like from the company perspective. And once we have the ability to match people and companies effectively, then we're also creating valuable service for companies, which is let's connect you only with the people who are really bi-directionally good fit for your positions. So you as an employer don't need to waste hours and days on LinkedIn trying to figure out who are the good people for you, right? Oh, I see. It's a bi-directionally good fit, meaning they would like to work at your company and they'd be a good fit for you as well. Right. It's a bi-directional fit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Honestly, as someone who switched jobs about a year ago, this sounds incredibly useful. Um, awesome. Right? The process of, of talking to my family, talking to my mentors, talking to my current boss, potential future bosses, trying to figure out, A, what would be a good career move, and B, what job would be good, what team would be a good fit, was such a complex decision. Right. And this begs the question of, well, which parts of this are currently automatable? So actually all of them. And I guess the question is, to what degree this automation is already helpful, is complete, where we can take it further, right? But everything that I discussed so far, to some extent, is already happening and is automated and using, you know, relevant to our podcast, machine learning, deep learning, but also deterministic algorithms, kind of like a hybrid of everything, right? We use the right tool for the right goal. So if you're trying, for example, to compare people on, let's take personality, right? So if I ask you, Avesh, what industries or what areas are you most excited about, right? And let's say that you really care about, I don't know, healthcare or whatever. Mm -hmm. The way that you would choose to answer that, the word that you would use are reflecting your personality. So a very extroverted or a very introverted person would use different words to say the same thing, right? And based on that, for example, by doing the semantics part of natural language understanding, we can already start building basically the big five personalities for our users, and then we can do the same thing for the companies that we work with and their teams and so forth, right? And then we can start matching on these. Or think about another thing, if you're talking about the hobbies that you care about, right? And it doesn't have to be with a bot, maybe our system found it on a social profiles of yours, right? And you mentioned there that you're a burner, right? You go to Burning Man. Mm -hmm. Then if we have built, which we have, an ontology of how hobbies relate to one another and relate to personality traits with some statistical significance, then you can start finding a relation between that to a team. Because maybe being a burner means, statistically speaking, that you're likely to be adventurous and open-minded. And then one, obviously other burners are as likely, statistically speaking, to be adventurous and open-minded and might have really strong relations with you, but also people who have other kind of activities who are proxies to the same personality traits like skydiver or rock climbers or whatever, right? And this the system is already matching on. 
Interesting. This reminds me of um, like a dating app meets LinkedIn or some sort of career planning tool. It's a good way to look at it. And, and for example, one of our advisors used to be the chief product officer at eHarmony. Mm, so oh, really? you're pretty, yeah, you're, you're not far off. And I think that's also one thing that we noticed that as people, when I take a job or when I leave a job, so many times it's because of the people. Right? I really had a horrible boss. I have an amazing boss and I'm learning so much from them. Or the team is great or horrible. I enjoy coming to office. I hate it. And it's such a key decision in what part, what role we want to take. Right? Um, at the end of the day, to some extent, it's all about people and us collaborating with each other. And so far, all these platforms have been shying away, the recruiting platforms, from going into that for the same exact question that you asked before. I mean, can it work? Can we really do it? Right? Now, obviously, we can't really, at least now, and probably, I don't know if ever, really use technology to say, hey, you and this person, you're going to be the best friends ever, right? But what we can do is make statistical inferences, right? So mm-hmm. you and this person have, based on data, 80% chance of being good friends, as opposed to you and this friend person who has 20% chance, right? And since we can already do that, we've decided not to shy away from this really important question and have both at the same time. So yes, our system also... And it'll use the job description and extract the skills and we have ontology of all the skills. And then it connects people based on the skills that they know and the skills that their job requires and the gap between them to understand how many weeks of learning does the person need to do before they can actually be effective in the job and then find these gaps that are below a certain threshold. But as we do it on the skill side, we also do it on the personal culture, team fit and so forth side as well. I love that this is such a like a mechanical, in a way, solution is that <laughs> my skills are currently, I know, Node and React, and I'd like to learn, say, Redux. That's pretty close. Would it be that Solaris would estimate that's three weeks of ramp on, and then if it's a, a below a certain threshold, it recommend me for a job? Yes, something like that. So the way that the system understands it is every skill, it understands what are the building blocks and what skills are assumed that you know. So let's take, for example, React, right? When somebody says... I know React. What does it really mean? So yes, they know the React-specific part, but they also know JavaScript, and they also understand the concept of front-end development, and they understand object-oriented, and they must understand some CSS and HTML and so forth, right? And they understand UI. And so there's a lot of other stuff that are there. And then if the job requires um, Ember, for example, right, Ember.js, the person has never said that they know Ember, but Ember shares most of the building blocks with React. And the Ember-specific part is only this big, right? And also, if you already know React, and especially if you also know Angular or whatever, you can actually estimate what's the distance and how much time it would take you to pick up the Ember-specific part. So a person who knows React, for them to pick up Ember, even though it's not listed on the scale, it's a very different story than the person who's never done that and maybe talks about C++ in their background, right? And that's exactly the kind of um, estimations a system does and, and makes this connection. The advantage of it is twofold. From the company perspective, it extends significantly the potential pull of employees because now they're not just matched on the keyword. And that's something that sometimes human recruiters cannot do because they're not tech domain experts, right? They don't really understand the tech stacks um, some. And the other advantages for the person is allows them some learning and growth, right? So I can both show to the company how I can create value very quickly, but I also get to pick up something new, which, I mean, that's what everybody wants to do all the time, right? Grow and learn. So where did this idea come from? How did you and your co-founders come up with Stellaris? So before Stellaris, I built another company in the machine learning space called LiquidM. And at LiquidM, we build machine learning for the advertising uh, space. So basically, 
given what we know about a person, the way they interact with their apps on their phone, the sites that they go to, the demographics that we learn about them through where they are in the world and so forth, which products and which services are they most likely to buy, right? So advertising only at Liquid M, we we're thinking more about kind of like CPA, cost per action or LTV, right? Kind of like the deep conversion, right? Mm, um, okay. And so that company raised $10 million, built it to about 50 people, sold it last year. And one of the greater challenges was hiring. Mm-hmm. It was really difficult to find people. I felt like none of the channels were really satisfying, right? If I tried to find people on LinkedIn, it was such a time sink. I spent like so much of my time, like founder time, throwing on this and then getting very little results because I kept hitting the wrong people at the wrong time with the wrong message because I didn't know where they are in their story, right? And I didn't know which people I should be hitting. I posted jobs on a job board and I got so many applicants and most of them were not relevant and it felt like such a waste of time. I worked with recruiters and they were all nice and all, but they didn't really understand the technical requirements and differences between the people that I wanted. And also the fact that they were working for the commission, I think also encouraged them. I mean, the way that the system is set up to send me, I mean, let's just send a lot of resumes and let's hope something sticks, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I was very frustrated with all of that. I realized that, hey, to some extent, this is a matching problem, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of companies and there's a lot of people and there's parameters around all of them, what they want and what they can bring to the table. And then there's asymmetry of information, friction of discovering information, which is what making the whole process so horrible. And that's what we were solving at Liquid M. We were doing that in the context of giving a person what we know about them, let's connect them to a product or service. And I realized that we can do the same thing, all the know-how that we learned here and put it in, in another industry, in recruiting, and then given a person everything that we know about them, what job would be best fit for them, what learning, what skill, what boss, what team, what culture, right? It's the same on the meta machine learning level, uh, the same thing, right? And that's where the idea came from. Can you use this platform from the opposite perspective? So say I'm a high school grad, I'm deciding what college to go to, deciding what to major in, what to study, and I know that I eventually want to work on autonomous car development. Could you optimize mm. for the skills that would be most useful to those companies? Yeah, it's a good question. So yeah, I like your idea. So currently we haven't done that, right? It's not something that the system does, but in principle, actually, yes. So the system knows all the different companies are looking for um, because it constantly crawls the web, right? And we have integrations with applicant tracking systems, which are software where companies um, upload their um, jobs to. The system crawls different job boards. The system crawls companies' own sites. And then from all these sources, it pulls the job descriptions and then to NLUs them, right? So in principle, already in the database of the system, we're using Neo4j, it's, it's graph-based, so everything is kind of like built in one huge graph of how everything is interconnected. The system has this concept of these companies have these kind of job description, which are then translated to these kind of requirements, right? So all these connections are already there. So if you could define the type of company you're interested in, which is also something that the system understands because people define the companies they want to join, it can then theoretically extract the skills, compare them to yours, see the gaps and then recommend a couple of skills to pick up and also something we could build on top of it is how to do that right so take these classes and do these exercises and so forth right this would seem incredibly useful to any coding boot camp 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it is something that we've actually thought about a little bit. So we did speak with a couple of these programming schools on doing like cross-references. They could send talent to us who have taken a certain class and shown interest in picking up a new skill and going in a new direction. And maybe that shows intent that they would be interested in picking up a new job based on that, on the new skills and their passion and vice versa, right? We could, in principle, send people to them based on their learning goals and the gaps to where they want to get. Yeah. So it's things that we already sort of started thinking about, but yeah, it's not like fully implemented in the product yet. Oh, yeah. So moving back to the realm of things that Solaris is currently working on, rather than my speculative ideas. <laughs> no, but I love it, really. You're kind of like bursting into a great open door with great ideas. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, great to hear. <laughs> so why did you decide on the text message interface? Yeah, good question. What we wanted was... We wanted to allow people to express themselves without constraints, right? The problem of having a form, right, or what we're used to from the web products is that you need in advance to guess what answers a person might give and when the conversation might go, right? And there's limited possibilities for the user to express themselves. With a chat conversation, one, all the questions are open-ended, right? So the person really can relate to them however they want. And I mean, even if you ask them about compensation, they can choose, instead of choosing a number out of a Dropbox to reply, you know what? I don't care about cash, but I really care about equity, mm -hmm. right? So I'm, I'm answering the cash part and then saying, never mind this, right? And to build a UI that would really allow all these levers and tags and flags and whatever would be very difficult. And the second thing is, it allows the system to also do all sorts of follow-up question, right? Like dynamically, which is also something that it would be very difficult to do it in a form. And I think also psychologically, it's more pleasant. I don't know if this pleasantness would remain three or five years from now, or it's more of a question of novelty, right? Mm. But now still the experience of chatting feels more human and more natural and something that is more enjoyable than filling up forms, which we had enough of, right? So yeah, that's that's how we're thinking about it. That makes sense. Hmm. So how does this work? Is there ever a time when a human will answer a text message or is it always an AI answering? Yeah, there would definitely be times when the humans would answer. So I think you generally can take two approaches uh, topic. One is user experience trumps everything. And the other is automation trumps everything, right? And if you take the latter, then you say, hey, I don't want any human involved but you must accept that there are going to be all sorts of like really weird situations when the system doesn't understand what the person has said and we just start talking like nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. And in our case, we chose to have the user experience first approach where we feel very comfortable with the fact that sometimes the bot doesn't understand something and then it flags it to us and we would pick up the conversation, one of our team members, and take it from there and then hand it over back to the bot once it's back on track because we care more about the user experience at the moment, right? And it's also a great way for us to not only offer a certain service level, but also ability to learn what people want, to take it some way, sometimes further than what the bot could ever do. So that's for experimenting and learning. And it also preserves this experience of, you know, it's, it's pleasant and this entity or this team cares about me, right? And sometimes we would actually take advantage when we're hijacking the conversation to really have like a meaningful mini connection with the person and actually start diving into something. And I'm sure that at that point, it's so clear to them that it became like it's a human that took over, mm -hmm. but they're enjoying it because now, hey, let's really think about this thing together, right? And let's see if we can help you. Yeah, so 
I would also generally say that in terms of our, and that maybe can also be helpful for podcast listeners who are you know, thinking about building a chatbot related product, I'm thinking that the communication part is going to be commoditized. There are companies, Google and whatnot, that are spending so many resources on this that our differentiation and our IP and where we put most of our chips should not be that because we would replace it within, with a better SDK in no time, right? Mm-hmm. So the way we think strategically about the company is the IP is around how do we collect data from the web? How do we structure it in a way that the system understands to create knowledge? How do we teach the AI to ask questions on top of data to reach insights? And then how we translate these questions to stories. And this is kind of like the matching and the insights and the data. That's where the IP is. We've built some tech over chatbot, but we're trying to keep that actually relatively slim with the intention of just keep upgrading to whatever it is open yeah, source. Yeah, like the new Alexa API or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. The defensibility here is really the data and the machine learning that's customized for that data. Yeah. It's funny that you talk about um, this switching back and forth seamlessly between a machine answering you and a human answering you, because I don't think the Stellaris is the only ones that are doing this. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing that Facebook M, their, um, their assistant, does the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it will just switch over to a human, and then eventually the repeating tasks will be automated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of companies are doing that, especially if you think about the schedulers, right? Clara and these guys, yeah, they've been doing that from the beginning. And I think I recently read that they were boasting that 60 or 70% of the scheduling is done automatically, which you would Uh, think this is uh, impressive, but it's also pretty low. Yeah, I thought it'd be 100%. Exactly. (laughs) And what they're talking about is, hey, I'll meet you Wednesday, 7 p.m., right? And still, there's a lot of human part to it, right? So, yeah, there's definitely a gap between what we can do today and where we'd want this to be. And, and again, brings back to this question of, do you want to keep it fully automated or have the user experience the best? And, and yeah, a bunch of companies are, are doing that, opting for that as well, yeah. There's, um, there's this test, which I'm sure you've heard of, that's posed by Alan Turing, um, the Turing test to tell whether an entity is a machine or is a conscious thinking creature. Right. And the test is where you have someone in a room, either a human or a machine, and they're sending out slips of paper in response to messages and the person conversing with them must decide whether they're a machine or they're a human. And if the machine can pass as a human, then it's considered conscious in the eyes of Alan Turing. And that reminds me of this. I think you're right that right now it should be very easy for Stellaris users or Facebook M users or the scheduling app users to tell when they switched over to a human from a machine. But maybe in the not-so-distant f- future, that will be much more difficult to tell. Yeah. I mean, I think we're getting there. It's just a question of time, right? So, And I think... That would be belief or understanding of most people who are dealing with chatbots and NLU and NLP. It's um, at the end of the day, language is based on syntax and logic. And it's the kind of concepts that machines should be able to understand. The problem is that there's a lot of context and a lot of deviations from the rules, which makes it much more complex. And a lot of double meanings, right, which we usually interpret sometimes to thanks to the context of the conversation, but sometimes we also do it subconsciously because of the context of the person or the context of the meeting or the context of the country and the culture we're at, right? Absolutely. But these are all things that, you know, we would slowly conquer piece by piece. And yeah, um, at some point it should be indistinguishable. Now, I don't know if I would agree that at that point I would say that the machine is conscious. Mm -hmm. That's like a more (laughs) philosophical debate. But I would say that 
it is indistinguishable at that point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so moving the business side a little bit, you, you talked about how you collect information about companies by crawling the web. Yeah. So how do you eventually sell to these companies? Because I assume that you're selling candidates to them. Yeah, so the way that it works is um, the following. At the end of the day for us, so we are getting paid by the companies, right? It's kind of like the uh, Google model. If you think about Google search, then it's primarily built to serve users. And really, it's the user's best interest in their minds as they're building the search engine. But at the same time, through advertising, they're monetizing it with businesses, right? We do the same thing. We're primarily thinking always about the happiness and well-being and what would be best for our users, the talent, individuals. But as we do that, we're really creating also value from companies and that's where we're monetizing, right? Now, when the system tries to match a person to a job at a company, a given team, boss, culture, and so forth, then it does so both with companies that we already have business relationship with, which means we have signed contracts and there is a... Um, clear agreement between us, and also with companies who are not our customers. And in this way, we also offer further value to the talent, our users, they would know that they're not limited to the little marketplace that we've built at any given time, but we would bring on board new customers live just in time if they're the best match for them, right? So if the best match for a certain person is not companies we currently work with, but it's another company, we'll try to bring that company on board, right? Now, in between, that's when we would sign a contract with the company, right? So we would reach out to the company, the system would reach out to the company saying, hey, you have this open position, here is a terrific person for you. Here is a UI, a dashboard where you can explore the fit. Here's how you get impressed about this person. Now, do you want to start working with us to connect with this person with other people, right? So that's kind of like how we do it. And then at that point, we would sign a contract with the company and also get paid. Now, at that point, we also collect more information from the company than what we have online. So the future matches for the company are actually better. But even before this additional information, there's so much data out there that we could already make really good matches based on public data. I've heard this referred to before as the bottom-up sales model, where you go into a sales pitch and you say, okay, we have a product already set up for you. We have users that would like to, in this case, join your company. And I've heard this a couple of times. I think a previous interview that we did at PatternML with Kylie AI did this for customer service where you would walk into a sales meeting and say, look, I've had a, a Twitter bot that already has replaced half of your customer service force. Do you want to buy it? Is that a good assessment of this? This is a bottom-up sales model? Yeah, definitely. And I think you see this model taking place more and more often, right? Because sometimes the traditional, hey, let me tell you about this, our company kind of pitch could be much more difficult and time consuming, right? Because then everything that you speak is kind of like an abstract, right? Like we can do this and we can do that. If you reach out to a company already with a very clear value proposition or something immediate that would already create value, for example, hey, you can just connect with this person and maybe hire them. Yeah, it's definitely helpful. And I think what we're talking about here is two things, right? One is let's come ready with something specific that we've already pre-built, in this case, a talent, right? And the other thing is, who in the organization are we connecting with? Is it the head of HR or the CFO? Or are we connecting with an individual, a recruiter, that would then make a decision and then maybe bubble it up, right? So in our case, depending on company, we would either the system would either reach to the decision maker or the actual individual recruiter, right? And it depends on the business model that you have, right? If your business model is such that is starting with some kind of freemium and then 
either with extra features or volume or whatever asks the company to pay, then it makes sense to actually start with a person you would actually work with who would adopt it, enjoy it at first, and then realize, hey, I could do more with it and would go back to the uh, financial decision maker and say, hey, we should purchase this package, right? If your business model is such that you basically need payment from the beginning, there is no freemium version of it, then you can do the first part, which is reaching out to a company with a very specific context, but you still need to reach out to the decision makers so they can do the deal before you start working together, right? So that's kind of mm-hmm. maybe interesting distinction. So I can imagine a future where you have displaced uh, like a bunch of recruiters who would normally go searching around for LinkedIn, spend like weeks and weeks finding the perfect candidate. Are you worried about displacing jobs with this technology? I wouldn't say I'm worried. Definitely, it's something to you know think of. I mean, if you look at like history up until now, every time there was some kind of technological progress, you wouldn't see unemployment go up. You would just see a shift between what people were doing before and after, right? So the percentage of people 200 years ago who were farmers was relative to today, uh, it's like 10x, right? Like the majority of the population were farmers, where now it's, I think it's 5%, even less than that. Mm-hmm. But unemployment is not 80%, right? Mm-hmm. Because people just took other positions. Now, if you think specifically about recruiters, then recruiters do a lot of things, right? And we're not trying to replace recruiters. Companies would still have recruiters and would still need recruiters, right? Recruiter need to communicate with the person. Recruiter need to evaluate if the person is a good fit for the company on the personal level. Recruiter need to help the hiring manager and with the process of hiring, right? And once a person is hired, then generally HR has a lot of other functions, which is make them happy and take care of their well-being and help them develop and grow within the company and so forth. So all this is going to remain, right? And even just the interaction with the company, you need a contact person there, right? But recruiters also do other things. And within recruiting, there is this sub-profession that's called sourcing. Mm-hmm. And a sourcer, which is the sub-profession within recruiting, is basically currently taking the role of a machine. They're sitting on LinkedIn and searching and searching and reaching out and then optimizing and A-B testing different messages and sending them in volumes and then measuring their success and then doing that again and again and using all sorts of keyword searches and whatever. And these are things that machines can do better and can free these people their time to do the things that they could do better, which is more the human and personal aspects of recruiting. So what would happen is, I think, two things. One, recruiters who are not focused on sourcing would have much more free time to focus on the non-sourcing part, be better at it, and get the service of sourcing from machines, right? These introductions. And by the way, sourcing is not fun. If you talk to a sourcer, (laughs) it's not fun, right? And every time you wouldn't behave like a machine, I I don't think they're having fun. So this would help the recruiters be more efficient at their job. And yes, probably the work of sourcing would be eliminated through this, right? And then these people would be free up to take other positions, right? You know, it's funny because if you look at, especially I can give you like numbers from Silicon Valley now, because recruiting is so difficult for companies, every company is building a recruiting agency Mm in-house. It's crazy. Like every tech company has a small recruiting company within it which takes on average 5% of the headcount. Hmm. So if a company has 1,000 employees, 50 people in recruiting. If a company has 10,000, 500. And that's insane. And the reason they do that is not because all these companies also want to diversify and have a recruiting business. (laughs) It's just really so difficult. And we're solving this challenge that would allow them to have just as much as recruiters they actually need and not to have these bodies of sourcers that are behaving as machines, right? Yeah, this answer 
of will AI displace jobs, the answer that any job that interacts closely with a human will not be displaced in the near future, I think is a good one that applies to several different fields. And here the field is, it's also called people ops, right? People operations. It's hard to believe that most of that field could be automated when so much is built on human interaction. Right. But I agree with you that sourcing is a job that most people do not enjoy and could be automated. Yeah. And by the way, the same time that jobs are displaced, new jobs are created. So we employ a couple of people who their title is AI trainers. Mm -hmm. There were no AI trainers 10 years ago. And now they're actually quite a bit, right? And actually AI trainers in profile are not that different than sources. I think a person who would be a good sourcer could be a good AI trainer, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe they're just switching to switching sides and then helping build the technology that would empower the recruiters instead of actually doing the work, right? That's within the kind of like AI recruiting system. And then if you look kind of like at the meta system, a lot of other technologies that are coming out there would also create a lot of new positions, right? I think one of the positions that is going to be very popular five years from now is virtual reality experience design, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so technology is constantly making some jobs less relevant, but then creates a wealth of other jobs, right? Yeah, that's definitely been true historically. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, Roy, thank you so much for taking the time to interview with us. Yeah, thank you, Avesh. I really had fun. And uh, like I mentioned, I've been listening to the uh, previous episodes and I think you and your team are doing a terrific job and it's just a pleasure to be here. I hope you folks enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions, please don't hesitate to email me or Neil at hello at patternml.com. Otherwise, until next time. Until next time.